Please be seated. Turn your attention with me uh, to the Old Testament lesson. I'll be reading Isaiah chapter 52. And as I do so, uh, give it careful attention. Uh, uh, This is uh, the very word of God. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, You were sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, My people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing? Their rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually all the day my name is despised. Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore in the day they shall know that it is I who speak. Here am I. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news who publishes peace and brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice together, they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem, The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord, for you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go out in flight, for the Lord will go before you. And the God of Israel will be your rear God. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. May God richly bless us with the reading of his word today. May he work it into our hearts and into our obedience. This uh, chapter before us, which is connected uh, to the, the following chapters, the songs of the suffering servant, This chapter is governed by two calls, two exclamation points. Uh, The first is, awake, awake. And the second one in verse 11 is, depart, depart. God is calling each and every one of us. In every single epoch of history, God is calling to his children, whom he loves dearly. He's calling you this morning. Uh, Have you ever received a wake-up call? 
Do you ever, have you ever uh, slept in? Have you ever been uh, appointed to be someplace and, and then you forget and you get that wake-up call? Uh, it's happened to me a number of times, but I made it here minutes before worship this morning, so I was prompt this morning. Uh, but not just on schedule, but what about for life significance? Have you ever felt like you've missed the boat? Uh, Isaiah's text is ancient, centuries before the coming of Jesus. But Jesus and, and his life and all of his stories, indeed the Holy Gospel is, is directly connected to Isaiah 52. Uh, Jesus tells the story of the ten virgins who are waiting for the bridegroom to come. They've heard his call and... They are waiting for the bridegroom to come and take them in procession to the wedding feast. And five of them are prepared, never knowing when the bridegroom is going to exactly show up. And they have oil in their lamps, and their lamps are trimmed, so that in the middle of the night, should he come, they can light their lamps and, and join the procession. And five other virgins are unready uh, they've been lazy, apathetic, saying, oh, he didn't come last night, so he probably won't come tonight. And so they're wholly unready. And when the bridegroom shows, five are ready and five are unready. The five join uh, into the rejoicing of the bridegroom and leave following him to the feast. And the other five are left knocking on the door. They have scurried through the dark streets. They have finally found the venue for the wedding, and they're knocking on the door, and the bridegroom doesn't open the door for them. And so it is that we think sometimes of our lives spiritually. Are we ready? We've heard God's call. He's given us the wake-up call. Awake, awake. And now what are we doing? He's awakened us. And for what? Uh, to join him in this grand procession to enter into his feast. And how often do we miss the feast because we're so busy or perhaps we're apathetic? We're so burdened down by the sufferings and trials and problems in our life and we say, well, this is what God has given to us. God has given us these trials and sufferings to refine us and to make us more like him. Yes, but he also calls you to a feast, another great biblical theme that you would live your life regardless of your sufferings and your trials, regardless of the mundanity of your life, that you would live in the presence of the bridegroom, that you would have your lamp ready and that you would be part of this most romantic vision, that you're part of this great throng of people in the middle of the night, not walking aimlessly, not sleepwalking, but with lamps, and you're part of this beautiful procession on your way to the feast. Or, better yet, that you are at the feast. And the rest of your life, from here on out, with Jesus your bridegroom, is more described as a feast than a hell. So, how are you living? Have you heard the wake-up call from God? God has come with his wake-up call from the very beginning of time. When our first parents, Adam and Eve, fell into sin, God came into the garden, awake, awake, where are you? I want to be with you. I know that you've mucked it up, but I'm here to repair it. I'm here to, 
to, to awaken you that you might follow me. Yes, I'm going to expel you to the east of Eden. You're going to live by the sweat of your brow and you're going to have pain in childbirth. You'll have to talk to Nicole about that. But I will be with you. I will redeem you. I will restore you. And I will, I, I will uh, lead you into the feast. And so it is that in Isaiah's uh, prophecy in this 52nd chapter, God awakens his people and calls them and says, you're not going to be as you were before. You're going to come into the temple and you're going to find no unclean person there. Now, Isaiah isn't saying that uh, the Gentile court, the largest court in the temple, would no longer be open for unclean people to come in and hear the gospel and hear the law explicated at Solomon's colonnade. He was just saying this, that there is coming a time when there is one whom I will introduce to you at the end of this part of my prophecy who will cleanse everyone. Everyone who finds himself into that Gentile court of the temple will be truly pure and clean because of this person. And so it is that he says, I have awakened you to hear the gospel. And this gospel always comes with a history. The good news of our Lord Jesus Christ doesn't just fall out of the sky from heaven into a vacuum called our lives in this world. But the gospel has a history. And succinctly, Isaiah reminds the people with the wake-up call that there has been the history of God redeeming Israel from Egypt. And it is God who has also allowed the Assyrian to, without payment, drag them away into captivity. All the ten northern tribes, with fish hooks in their noses, dragged behind horses for hundreds of miles and never coming back. The southern tribes would come back after 70 years, but the northern tribes were scattered uh, and, and, and never came back to Jerusalem. And so God said, my good news, my redemptive history has gone in far into the past. I've redeemed you out of Israel, and now Assyria has taken your ten northern neighbors away, your fellow tribes, but I will redeem you. You've been taken away from nothing, for nothing, but I will redeem you, and I will redeem you with my own blood. And so it is that this gospel has a history. And then Isaiah says, this gospel that you need to listen to will be the best news that you've ever heard. And so these uh, well-known verses, how beautiful upon the mountain are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation. In Isaiah's day, uh, the news was carried by runners who would run from town to town, who, who would run from the battlefield to the city uh, with news. Sometimes it was good news, sometimes it was bad news. Uh, at this present point, when Isaiah introduces good news, all that has come to Jerusalem in the recent past has been bad news. The bad news of the Assyrians marching from the north to the south, taking over each and every little citadel along the way, coming closer and closer to Jerusalem. The news has been bad. These runners 
uh, knew how to run. They ran barefoot and they ran fast. Now I know that at least Eric, is Eric in the room? Oh, Eric left, so I'll just tell you. I don't know if he's still doing it. Is he still trying to run barefoot, Jerry Lee? Well, this is, this is just ridiculous. This is, the, this is the 21st century, and we have Nike right down the street and Adidas just over the knoll. This is just, this is ludicrous to go about running barefoot. And then, Rebecca, is your, is your brother Joshua, is he still trying to wear those dumb little shoes with the toes? What do you call those? Well, I don't know what you call them either, but they're a step better than barefoot, don't you think? So, anyway, how beautiful are the feet? Well, this, this runner has come from the battlefield, right? He's run over miles of dusty roads, and he comes to the gates of Jerusalem with good news, and all the people sing, how beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news. You say, well, thank God for figurative language, right? They're not talking about his dirty, dirty, sweaty feet. You know, smells like a teenage boy. Good grief. No, they're talking about the fact that the news he has brought is good. And this is the best news possible. This is, this is good news that God will not leave his children in darkness. That he will not leave them in slavery. He will not leave them even in their petty little sufferings in these downward spiles of depression that we get ourselves into, in these points of apathy. He will not leave us there. He is bringing to us good news, and his messenger says his good news is that of salvation. And so it is that God has a good reason to wake us up. He's just not giving us an early wake-up call to go to school after Labor Day. You go, oh, please. I've been dreading that moment for the past seven weeks. That's not the kind of wake-up call. God has a really good reason to wake us up. He has the best news possible, and that is you may not recognize him at first because he is coming in a way and in a fashion that you would never guess. But he is coming to save you from everything that entangles you in this life. So the second part of the chapter begins in verse 11 with a second call. And this is a most surprising call. Uh, God cries first, awake, awake. The messenger of the gospel comes to Jerusalem, says God is going to save you. And then here comes the second call, depart, depart. Now we would think that God would save the holy city Jerusalem and then tell all of his children we're going to live here forever. Make yourselves comfortable. I called off the enemy. I thoroughly destroyed the Assyrians. And now we're going to live in the holy city Jerusalem forever, right here, right on this bit of earth, right on this little hill that we call Mount Zion. And we're going to live here forever. It's uh, what Peter thought when he and James and John climbed a mountain with Jesus one day and the glory of heaven broke open, and the, the great prophets Elijah and Moses, uh, shining with heavenly glory, stood on either side of Jesus, who, who, who was shown to the disciples in his heavenly glory. And you remember what Peter said in that moment? Oh, this is great. 
Let's pitch three tents and live for the rest of our lives right here on this mountain. And Jesus, Jesus uh, had a different idea, right? He had something more glorious and permanent for everyone at the end of the age. And so a voice from heaven told Peter, shut up. Listen to my son. He's got a better idea than yours. Uh, but that's how we often live in the Christian life, sort of like people over the last 30 years who have moved to this beautiful state of Oregon. They want to be the last ones in and then shut the door and let no more Californians come in or no more Wisconsinians or anyone else in the world. It's like we're going to be the last ones in. We're going to be the last ones into our little gated neighborhood and not let anyone else in. We're going to put an urban growth boundary around here and not let anyone else move in. I'm, I'm not for or against any of those things. I'm just saying we oftentimes have this mentality that here we are. We made it into this exclusive group. Oh, by grace. I know it was all by grace, but we've got a little house in Jerusalem in the holy city, and now let's just shut the gates and have a holy huddle. And that's not how the gospel works in our lives. The gospel wakens us to a new way of life. And just when the enemy is soundly defeated and the city is safe, here comes the voice of God again, the voice of our blessed Redeemer saying, depart, depart. It's time for you to follow me out the city gates, out into the world, into the dark and, and craggy valleys of this world. It's time for us to go. And what are we to do? Why are we departing the city so soon? We're to go out. We're to follow this promised Savior. And we're not to go quickly in verse 12. We're not going out in haste. This isn't, this isn't the Passover meal in Egypt that we eat standing up and then we hurriedly, with our sandals and staves and packs ready to go, we hurriedly move out in the night before the Egyptian army can marshal itself and meet us at the Red Sea. We're not escaping. We're not running away. No, we're, we're strutting. Oh, humbly so. But we're slowly walking in procession behind the victor. This is a grand procession. We're going to take our good old time, and we're going to start at the holy city, Jerusalem, and we're going to go throughout all Judea and Samaria, and we're going to go to the othermost parts of the world. Sooner or later, we're going to get to the end of the trail in Oregon. But we're going to slowly walk with our Savior, the King, and King, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We're going to walk throughout this world. We're going to proceed behind him. And what are we doing? We're taking from the temple in Jerusalem the holy vessels of God. And so it is that all of us are just like the priests of the Old Testament. Now we're a kingdom of priests. We're a procession of priests. We're going to make sure that we are ceremonially clean in Christ Jesus. And we're going to take the holy things of God. They're no longer going to be shut up in the temple. But they're going to be taken into the world. And they're going to be shown. This procession will be a visual display of the holy things of God. And so it is that those who have understood this text throughout Christendom to the present have always taken the means of grace, the preaching of the gospel and the, and the administration of the sacraments. They have taken the worship of the one true God and put it as publicly as possible. And that's what we're doing We've been saved 
through the Holy Gospel, through Jesus Christ, the Lord of the Gospel, we have been saved to join this procession and to go out into the world and to visibly display the holy things of God, namely Christ. All of the symbols and seals, all of the sacraments and signs, everything that speaks of Christ in the scripture, we are putting on the map. We are putting it on the screen. It's on our lips so that people might say how beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news. This is what it is to be a part of the body of Christ, to be a part of the grand procession. It's not a holy huddle. It's not a parade either. Have, have you winced at times when you have noticed in our lifetime the church being more of a parade full of entertainment and clowns and the throwing of candy, full sugared candy at that? A parade of all of the civic organizations and services of the community, a big hand clap for humanity. And I, well, I shouldn't lie, I don't like parades, but if you like them, that's fine. But that's not what this is. This is a procession, it's a holy procession. It's the people of God in some visible way, on a regular basis, like as a lifestyle day in and day out, following Jesus in the world, showing his signs and doing his work out in the streets of this world so that all may see. And so it is, the prophet Isaiah says, as the people of God proceed the holy things of God throughout the world, even the kings of this world, they become silent and they realize, though we have scorned, the power and authority of God throughout our tenure as king. Even though we have worked against him, we now see in the transformation of his people proceeding the holy things of God, we now see what God has been up to all of these many years, and we bow low before him. We will in the end acknowledge that he is God. And so it is that even the kings of this world come to naught and have to acknowledge that Christ is Lord. They will bow their knees with everyone else and, and confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, what's so surprising about this is that this majestic, powerful display of Christ and his people proceeding throughout all the earth is Isaiah's prophetic introduction to this promised one who will come to redeem us, to save us from ourselves and from all the great enemies. And so this is why the chapter divisions are the way they are, so that we might not think, well, we have this distinct picture of Christ the King, and then we have this distinct picture of Christ the suffering servant. But notice the last few verses of chapter 52 segue into the suffering servant songs. And this is the great surprise of the gospel, that all of this pageantry, all of this royal majesty, all of this power, authority, and control that we enter into as we follow Jesus in this world, all of this is founded in the suffering of the one who loved us and gave his life for us. 
The one who leads the procession is the one who gave his life that we might have life abundantly. And so it is that this description begins of the suffering servant. And this is truly a description seven to nine hundred years before Jesus touched down on this earth, before people saw him and felt the wounds in his hands and his side and his feet, before he gave his life and before he was risen from the dead, the prophet of God wrote these words about his passion. And so it is that my servant shall act wisely. He will be high and lifted up and exalted. But you'll be astonished. Here's the surprise. First, he will have a marred appearance. So marred will he be by his wounds and sufferings that he'll be barely perceptible as a human being. His form beyond that of the children of mankind. And why would he allow his holy body, his very flesh to be so marred? So that he might join this procession, actually lead the procession and sprinkle many nations. As Christ walks throughout this world, he sprinkles the nations with the Holy Spirit and cleanses them from all unrighteousness. He subdues the nations with something like the spring rain that waters all the earth. He walks out as the suffering servant so that all might see his scars and acknowledge that he is the one who has given his life that we might have life abundantly. And so it is that the prophet Isaiah has given to us truly the best news that we could ever receive. And that is our whole life, though it is on a trajectory, this grand procession, it is ever founded at the foot of the cross where Jesus gave his life for us. Uh, please, I, I beg you this morning that you would put your trust in, in the Lord Jesus, that by faith you would believe that he is the one who has laid down his life for us. Uh, there are so many other voices in the world today, these kings that Isaiah speaks of in chapter 52, who have spent a lifetime and have built a culture of scorn against all of these points of the Holy Gospel. But consider them this day, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, own them as the truth, as reality, that God has given his life for you and that he has joined you into this grand uh, procession, that he has welcomed you to his feast, that he has made you his daughter and his son. Let's give him thanks. In Jesus' name we pray, uh, receiving these good words to bolster us in our faith, O Lord, God of heaven and earth, we ask you now that you would send your Holy Spirit to minister these words to our hearts, that we would take them by faith and that we would live obediently according to them. O Lord God, refresh us, we pray. We have been wounded in many ways. We have been distracted in many more ways. We have left the straight and narrow path. We've actually believed uh, several who have whispered to us that the straight and narrow path is nothing more than a bunch of fundamentalists 
uh, idiocy and, extreme, and extremism. And so we've, we've believed that. We've, uh, we've called the straight and narrow path that you've set for us, uh, we've called it a dead end. We've called it a, a bondage. And yet it really is that great highway that you've blazed in the opposite direction to come to us. And on that great highway, you have brought your, your holy gospel announcing that you are truly coming. And now that you are present with us, O oh Lord, uh, we do confess that the straight and narrow path is nothing less than the parade route. And uh, now we are following you, and we're following you, and though it leads uphill, we are happy to walk it with you. Though our legs burn, so also do our hearts burn within us. And we realize that we are walking with the resurrected Lord Jesus, who speaks to us in such a way that we realize that he is not merely human, but he is the God-man. And uh, we would ever follow him, O oh Lord, Give to us perseverance in our faith that we would ever follow him all the days of our life. We pray for us and for our loved ones. We pray for our children. Uh, we pray for Maverick Lewis Hamilton. We pray, O oh Lord, that uh, together we would follow in the train of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forevermore. Amen.